Hello, <clears throat> welcome to Daniel Leon's Sportscade, and welcome to part two of Thanksgiving in Pro Wrestling. I realize that um, I realize that Thanksgiving has passed. But I just wanted to finish this, um, this, this uh, idea I have. We're talking about Starcade when it was for Thanksgiving, and then how Survivor Series came up and and bumped it to another date, which was usually around December. So I'll just continue with this. The only match that I knew that I know the finish of in this video, in this Starcade, was the I Quit match that was actually that was actually in a steel cage. It was not called a steel cage match because the point of the match is not the steel cage. The point of the match was whoever said I quit would lose. And that was like the first time they ever did an I quit match that I know of. So that's the only one I remember seeing because I know the, know the, the outcome of because I saw this on a videotape of my dad years ago. Because this was such a big-time feud between the two of them. They listed this on the greatest, on a videotape that was for the greatest uh, rivalries in uh, the company's history. But the first match was for the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight title. Sam Houston, real-life half-brother of Jake the Snake Roberts, defended the title against Crusher Khrushchev in a, in a match set for 20 minutes. Crusher Khrushchev hit Sam Houston with a lariat to win the match. And I had gotten the, the time wrong, so I'm going to have to look. I'm going to have to look at Wikipedia to see what the time was when it ended. 9 minutes and 30 seconds. And by the way, in, in this Starcade, I don't know why they did this, but they had two different, they had one Starcade done in Greensboro and one done in the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. One match, the first match was in the, then the Greensboro Coliseum. The second match was in the Omni. The second match was Manny Fernandez facing Abdullah the Butcher with Paul Jones in his corner in a Mexican death match where the only way to win is to climb the top turnbuckle and retrieve 
the sombrero. And that's how you win. So Manny Fernandez won by climbing the top turnbuckle, retrieving the sombrero, and I really don't think I think back then there was they didn't go by what we call technicalities. So I think regardless if Paul Jones got involved, Manny would have won either way. But to make sure Paul Jones couldn't do anything physically, he just rolled out the ring with the sombrero so he wouldn't get, I think we used the term accosted. The next two mat, well, the next match was in Greensboro Coliseum, but they listed it two different numbers because the finish was with somebody who was not even in the match and I'll explain as I talk about this. The next of the third match was Outlaw Ron Bass or just Ron Bass at this time against his former tag team partner at the time Blackboard who was managed by James J. Dillon. And it was a Texas bull rope match, but this bull rope match, Texas bull rope match, was a match of two on by pin with by with pin by pinfall. And the Texas bull rope match I was used to seeing was the one that you 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 find a hole with the bull rope put around your wrist. Opponent puts it around his wrist, and you y'all try to fight for what we call um, control of the control of the bull rope against the other, and you so much so that you drag him around and tag tag or tap all four turnbuckle pads and that's how you win the match but uh, but I watched um, the Dusty Road story and I found out that the first ever bull rope match which of course was booked by Dusty was himself against superstar Billy Graham who was the Worldwide Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion and um, the only way to win was by pinfall so I believe the best way to believe, as even though that was a gruesome match, in a lot of ways, I believe that if you put it on a documentary explaining the role changes and everything, it might, it might be interesting enough to the fans like myself to, uh, to where it would sell because I really think that because that's so popular that fans might want to, fans that saw it but don't know the story behind the rule changes might ex might enjoy seeing the story behind it. So those are just some things to think of when I see these um, these whole videos is if they've ever thought of coming up with a story either for the WWE Network or for um, the, or on DVD that just explains for the, the fans out there 
why they had to make changes along the way. So anyway, in eight, 8 minutes and 34 seconds, they said um, Ron Bass defeated Black Bart. But in, but in 3 minutes and 29 seconds, in, they said results number 4, J.J. Dillon defeated Ron Bass because Black Bart, after the referee was knocked out, Black Bart put... After he knocked out Ron Bass, he put J.J. Dillon on top of Ron Bass. So I really think, I really think that should have been nine minutes and three set, no, twelve minutes and three seconds that when J.J. Dillon pinned Ron Bass. Now let me see what I put in my notes for this for the next um, match. Oh yeah, there's no. I'm actually. Oh yeah, in a 45-minute time limit match. Nature Boy Buddy Landell beat Terry Taylor for the National Heavyweight title. So J.J. Dillon tripped Terry Taylor as Terry was doing a superplex off the top rope on Buddy, on Buddy Landell. And Buddy Landell just turned, twisted his body so he could cover him. And the referee was knocked out naturally. So when the referee saw the count, saw the... Pinfall, he made the count. And let's see how many minutes that took. 10 minutes and 30 seconds. That means they had 34 minutes and 30 seconds left to finish the match at that point. I'm so, by the way, I forgot about the two different, the two different uh, places. So that was the Greensboro Coliseum. Match five from the Omni, Superstar Billy Graham defeating the Barbarian. Um. And they said that it took, um, I don't, they, he did not win by his qualification. This is a mistake. He beat, he, because it's an arm wrestling match, he beat, uh, the Barbarian clean. He, he officially won the match and then Paul Jones hit him with his cane to assault him. So that was, an official, that was an official win. And let's see. Match eight was Ole and Arn Anderson, who at this time were still, were known as Minnesota Wrecking Crew, which went back to Ole and Gene Anderson. They were the national tag team champions. 
They defeated the NWA United States Tag Team Champions, Chief Wally McDaniel and Billy Jack Haynes. And in the results from the Greensboro Coliseum, match nine, in an I Quit Still Cage match for the NWA United States Heavyweight title, at 14 minutes and 43 seconds, Tully Blanchard, I think, I don't even know how this happened. I think they broke a wooden piece off of a uh, chair and he held it, Magnum TA held against Tully's and I asked him, do you quit? And he said, yes, I quit. That's how he won the U.S. Heavyweight, heavyweight title. And match 10 from the Omni was Jimmy Valiant and Miss Atlanta Lively with Big Mama defeated the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette and that this was actually called the Atlanta Street Fight. And the, that was that was finished in six, six minutes, 36 seconds. Then in the Greensboro Coliseum, the last match in the Greens, last match in Greensboro for the night, Rock and Roll Express with Don Cronodal against Ivan and Nikita Koloff with new with new NWA Mid Atlantic Heavyweight Champion Crusher Khrushchev in their corner. And 12 minutes and 22 seconds. Ricky, Ricky Morton tagged himself in, and because it was done while his partner Robert Gibson was being Irish whipped into the ropes, he was able, and by the way, the Nikita Kol no, Ivan Koloff, all of the Russians are bald in that group, so it's hard to, hard to remember for a second. Who, who was who, but it was Ivan Koloff was a legal man. He went to give, he went to give Robert Gibson an Irish whip, and Robert got out the in the middle of that. Here came Ricky, putting him in a, a waist lock and putting him against the ropes and rolling him up. And while he was doing that, right after he started the count, when he was doing that, Robert was holding on to Ivan so that they could win the titles. And it got 12 minutes and 22 seconds. The three count happened, and they were the new NWA World Tag Team Champions. Next was Dusty Rhodes against Ric Flair for the... NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Let me give. Let me just share um, a quick story about how this all came about. This all started in the Omni, as a matter of fact, in a cage match. Ric Flair was facing, I believe, it was Crusher Khrushchev. Nikita came out to help to help uh, uh, Crusher. Dusty came out to help Ric Flair. They spoke about this on the 
for Horseman story. Warren Ole Anderson had come out to help Ric Flair, but Dusty was already there, and um, I can't repeat what Warren Anderson said because I don't know if that was in character, if that was real life. So I'll say it like this. At that moment in time, the characters definitely were not getting along. So at this point in time, I think the horse, I think, okay, this is before they were called the horsemen, but all four were together. They just didn't have J.J. Dillon as a manager yet. So those, so Arn came out, came in the ring along with Oli, and they uh, turned around on Dusty, and they pretended to injure Dusty's leg. And so that led into this match right here for Star K 1985. I actually saw the ending. The clip of the ending of this match on the Four Horsemen story. I had no idea at the time that it was a Starcade main event. The referee, don't know, uh, was probably uh, Tommy Young because he was the senior referee. He got knocked out of the ring. He saw Arn Anderson getting involved. Before he could call for disqualification, Arn threw, no, Dusty threw Arn through the bottom rope into the referee and knocked him down again. So for the rest of the match, the referee couldn't get to his feet to say anything. So the next referee came down. And by the way, this finish, this finish, the end finish and the subsequent post-match finish after and the next TV taping after that was something Dusty Rhodes was known for, known as the Dusty Finish, where it ends in controversy and not bad, not offensive controversy, just just a controversy of what's going to happen next. And I personally refer to that as cliffhanger, known as the Dusty Finish. And I know that that might sound like a cheap uh, nickname because this is Dusty Rose, but now that's just a coincidence. You call it a Dusty finish because it's not a decisive um, ending. He, Dusty Rose, ended up pinning Ric Flair. Clean, no, uh, not use not not breaking the rules or anything, so that's what really made the dusty finish even more effective in this case was the fact that had had um it been had it had it been um done but had been done in a way that nobody could get involved it would have it would have been just as sweeter of a victory for him. And I don't know why he did the dusty finish for this. But I got a feeling because I think he said this in his Hall of Fame speech back in 2006. 
no, 2007. I think he said that the reason he did the dusty finish in this instance was because he didn't want to stop working with Ric Flair. So whereas I understand why he did it, it just it just to the fans is disappointing. So that's what so he ended up winning the match by pinfall and then I'm not sure how long after but they said on TV because they they interviewed the referee because they were so good at making it look real that they had made an announcement probably in an they probably did like Orrin Anderson did in in a um in an interview promoting when he had to promote along with Rick Oli and Tully, that's the all four, had to promote a house show they were defending their titles at because those were the four main matches to cover or to talk about. In that interview to promote an, a current or an upcoming house show, they would do interviews. And in that, Arn said, Arn just, because everything was spontaneous, he just said off the top of his head, when you look at the history of, when you look at the history, in the history books, even though this isn't history, it's futuristic, but in real life, I, he was never into religion that I know of, so... So that's why when he mentioned the origin of the apocalypse, he said he said history instead of futurist, futuristic. So because he he knew of the the havoc they wreak, they will wreak on this earth during the tribulation, he said he said the four he mentioned the origin of the apocalypse. And he held up four fingers, and that's how they became the four horsemen. Well, just like that, they brought out the referee. They showed showed a clip of what I was just talking about, and that's how they took the title off of Dusty Rhodes. So they just continued the um, the rivalry until they had a cage match later on, and that might have been the next Starcade, so I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm just going, I'm just going to go to it to see for sure what the next um, Starcade main event was. Oh, yeah, now I remember. In this Starcade, I thought the first ever scaffold match yeah, I was right. The Skywalkers was the th was the theme of Starcade. The Skywalkers was in reference to the first ever scaffold match between the Road Warriors and the Midnight Express. And the selling point for that was Jim Cornette cannot get involved because he's afraid of fights. And what was really interesting about that match 
was that Rob Warrior Hawk, being as tough as he was, he had taped, he had, uh, I don't know if it was broken, but his bone was cracked in one of his legs. So he walked and climbed the 20-foot scaffold, and you could see this all on closed-circuit TV. They didn't go to commercial. They didn't cut for anything. You could see him climbing with, with animal. And it was like you didn't even know he was injured. That's how well he walked. Climbed up that uh, scaffold. So that was... So looking back at that, that was what was really amazing. That's in a retrospectively, that's what was really amazing about the whole thing was the one who actually had a reason to one who actually had a reason to look like he was hurting didn't even didn't even wince. That's what really makes it amazing. High high threshold of pain. Right, reminds me of my dad. So in this um, pay-per-view, that that was the main. That was the main. That was the selling match. Was one of the selling matches, but the pay-per-view itself, the main event itself, was Ric Flair putting up the NWA Heavyweight Title. Against in a, against the NWA United States Champion Nikita Koloff, and at this time, at this time, it was rare that you saw a champion versus champion match. And said so this was a dual location, and it's uh, six matches take place in each location. Huh. I'm wondering what the second where the second location was. Okay. Just like in nineteen eighty five, they were also in Greensboro, North Carolina. So let's see this. Unlike the year before, they didn't show, they didn't, in the results section of this, they didn't say which one was in, which one was in Greensboro and which one was in Atlanta. As a matter of fact, let me look again to make sure I'm not mistaken. Yeah, both of them are in Greensboro in Atlanta. They just didn't break it down, so I don't know which one was in which uh, city and state. Let's see. Tim Tim Horner and Nelson Royal defeated Rocky and Don Kernodal. Brad Armstrong wrestled Jimmy Garvin with his real-life wife, Precious, to a draw. To a time limit draw. Hmm. Hector Guerrero and Braun Von Reschke 
defeated Shaska, Watley, and the Barbarian. Crusher Khrushchev and Ivan Kolov at this time were the NWA United States Tag Team Champions. In a notice qualification match, they beat the Kansas Jayhawks, which were Bobby Jaggers and Dutch Mantel, who for WWE fans is Jack Swagger's old uh, former manager, Seb Coulter. The next match is Wild McDaniel, and he defeated Rick Rude with Paul Jones in an Indian Shrap match. Hmm. This is something I didn't see, so so I'm going to see this later on, if I think about it. I'm going to say I'm going to put this on my blog. This, I'm going to write this on my blog, what I think about this, this match. I think an Indian strap match is just like, I think any strap match period is like the Texas Bull Rope match where you hit all four corners. So that's going to be interesting to see if that's where they got that idea from. The next match was a singles match for the NWA Central States Heavyweight Championship. Sam Houston was the champion, successfully defended the title against Bill Dundee when Bill Dundee got himself disqualified. Hmm. Bill Dundee. I'm going I'm not going to digress like I've been doing. I'm just gonna to continue to talk about the other matches. Jimmy Valiant with Big Mama defeated Paul Jones in a hair versus hair match. And Manny Fernandez, this time around, was a heel, so they locked him in a cage, so he wouldn't get involved. Big Bubba Rogers, alias the Big Boss Man, he was he was accompanied to the ring with Jim Cornette, because that's who he was protecting. And in a street fight, he defeated Ron Garvin. And on a side note, in real life, anytime he faced Ron Garvin early on, Ronnie Garvin was too stiff for him. So when he asked Ric Flair how to handle him, which I was amazed by that because you know, the big boss man was six foot seven inches tall, which meant he was one inch away from being a full, full foot taller than Ronnie Garvin. And you know, when you hear somebody that short is too hard for somebody that tall, it's amazing to hear. Especially when this is a, um, and it's amazing to hear because this is not a, this is not real. This is pretend. This is acting. But in those days, especially in that territory, every they made it look as real as they could, and so that's why that's why things like that happened. Because you had to be tough to survive in that business in those days. But to finish that story, the answer that Rick gave Big Bubba Rogers, or to use his real name, uh, I think his real name 
was uh, Ray. Ray Trailer. He, his answer to Ray was to pop him one good time because of his size. And that's what helped him, or that's what helped him uh, get Ronnie Garvin's attention. That's what made it easier to work with him. Tully Blanchard defeated Dusty Rhodes for the NWA World TV title in a first blood match. Ooh. And I remember that because I don't know how, but he actually made J.J. Dillon bleed. But they put some vas they put some vascular cream over Tully, so it was very hard to make him bleed. And even though, even though that wasn't that's not something for kids to watch. For kids to watch. Um, that uh, as far as acting goes and storytelling goes, that's very. That's very good storytelling. Especially when you look at how boxers use that a lot. To keep from bleeding themselves. So it was very realistic. To, to explain that. The, yeah, in the Skywalkers match. Road Warriors with Paul Ellering defeated the Midnight Express. Jim Cornette and Big Bubba Rogers. The Rock and Roll Express, who were still who are the NWA World Tag Team Champions, defeated Arn and Ole Anderson, and Ric Flair, who was these the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. He and Nikita both lost because due to a double disqualification. I've got this on the WWE Network, so the video that is, so I can see how they, I can find out how they both got disqualified. Okay, Nikita Koloff accidentally closed line the referee. And... That was the replacement referee, so Tommy Young, the original referee, got up and he's in there now. He got pushed down by Nikita. I I think Ric Flair might have need him, so that's how they both got disqualified. Because he because of them both pushing him or Hitting them what they should enough. So great. This, these are some things that. No, I know Ric Flair can't. He never could find what we call defensive moves, but in so many other ways, he um. He was really a great talent in a lot of other ways. So when I, so when I heard 
Paul Orndorff say it was hard to make it it's hard to make a look real with Ric Flair. I made that puzzled face I always make because of how real Ric Flair always made his matches look. So just mentioning that because it just came to me and uh just an idea I had that this what I don't want to say about that is that that's actually one of the many reasons why uh why I decided to do a podcast to begin with because there's so many questions that that I have out of just curiosity that I think that some of the people I could interview might be able to answer. And it it's just those are just one of the questions that I would have and it's just those are some of the thoughts I have that just make just make some practicing like this all worth it. Despite despite all the times I uh talk like that. Where I sound like I ha like my thoughts are blank or my mind is blank and I'm just trying to remember what I was just about to say. And it's just these are just some these are just some interesting things to think about for myself, that is. And I got to tell my sister-in-law yesterday, <clears throat> what's great about it for me is that uh, I don't, because I was going to talk about sports, with um this or other service i can uh when i'm when i can do when i can afford to to um try to see if i can get guests for my podcast i was gonna i was already gonna be sure i was already gonna talk about sports so that's why i'm doing it here so I can at least have an idea of what to talk about with sports. And just very exciting to talk about these things. And very happy and very um, thankful for this time. And um, 1986, 1987, 1987's Starcade event was in Chicago, Illinois. Oh. They must have really started to have pay-per-view because this was the first time they did pay-per-view. So even though they did Starcade for a few years, it was always on TV. Oh, now I understand. And in this year, they also had the Great American Bash. So next time, so next week, I'm going to start talking, next Sunday, I'm going to start talking about pay-per-views. And every time there is not a new pay-per-view coming up, I'm going to talk about the old ones, and I'm going to start by um, 
I'm going to start by talking about the Great American Bash from that year. Hmm. So 1987 was around the year, it was around the time that they bought out the um, Mid-South Wrestling Territory, and at this point in time, they changed the name to Universal Wrestling Federation. And it, yeah, it was shortly before this event. And it was Ric Flair and Ronnie Garvin competing for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in a steel cage. And if I'm not mistaken, this was Ronnie Garvin defending against Ric Flair. And, uh, also, this was the same Starcade when the Four Horsemen, when the Four Horsemen's tag team of Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard defended their NWA World Tag Team titles against the Road Warriors. And also, in this match, Terry Taylor, who was at, he actually was UWF World TV champion. He went against Nikita Koloff to unify that title with the NWA title, the NWA World TV title. And I remember at one time, they actually... Instead of making it into a belt, Terry Taylor would wear it as a uh, as a medal. So I'm not really sure um, exactly if that was a belt, if that was a belt that was put up or not. So I'm gonna look at that. On the WWE Network to know for sure. Because nineteen eighty seven was in Chicago. On the picture itself, it was called Chi-Town Heat. That was the nickname of it. Okay, both... Okay, Terry Taylor did have a title belt around his waist, so they went back to... By this time, they went back to using a traditional belt instead of a medallion. Or metal, as they call it.
first match of the night, the 15-minute time limit draw, six-man tag team match. And this is not the first time I've heard of this of this three-man team, but I didn't know they did this in a Starcade. Jimmy Gorman and Michael Hayes, who were known as the Freebirds, and they had Precious with them, and their partner was Sting. They had Eddie Gilbert. Their opponents were Eddie Gilbert, Larry Zabisco, and Rick Steiner with Baby Doll. And that ended in a time limit draw. And what I meant by this, this isn't the first time I heard of this, was in one Clash of the Champions, Jimmy Gorman and Michael Hayes teamed up with Sting again for another six-man match, and come to find out that Sting was helped out a lot by Michael Hayes in real life. So that's that's why that's why in their characters they got along so well as a team because of how well they got along with each other in real life. So that's what I like to see. I like to see real stories like that. And I like to see how that coincides with the character. Okay. Dr. Death, Steve Williams, the first match of the night, he defended the UWF Heavyweight Championship against Barry Windham, and at 6 minutes and 50 seconds, he defeated Barry Windham to keep the title. Um... Make sure I don't uh, miss out on saying this when it's needed. They actually retired this two months later. So I'm not exactly sure what they did with the title. I, I know that um, I think Ric Flair beat Dr. Death in a match to unify both titles. So I think that's how they I think that's how they ended the story with it. Um but I didn't I don't know if it was in January of, of the next year, so that I don't know. But I, I can tell you that it was retired two months after this match happened. Then the third match was another Scaffold match. This time it was the Rock and Roll Express against their arch nemesis, the Midnight Express. This, <clears throat> by the way, Midnight Express had two had two different um, partners for Bobby Eaton. Two different members that were. Tagging partners with Bobby Eaton. The first Midnight Express with Bobby Eaton in it was in Midnight, which was in Mid South Wrestling here in Louisiana. And instead of it being Stan Lane, it was Dennis Condry. And Dennis Condry was the member of the Midnight Express the year before this. And once again, they had Big Bubba Rogers and Jim Cornette in their in their uh, corner. 
And I, rem I remember seeing this. Rock and Roll Express beat the Midnight Express at 10 minutes and 23 seconds. The next match, Nikita Koloff defeated Terry Taylor, Betty Gilbert in his corner, to unify the NWA and UWF World TV titles at 18 minutes and 58 seconds. Hmm. Our next, the next match was the tag title match between the Horsemen and the Road Warriors. J.J. Dillon accompanied Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard to the ring for the match. And Paul Ellering accompanied Road Warriors to the ring. And whoever writes the, uh, whoever wrote this needs to watch some DVDs because the, the Four Horsemen did not win the match on its qualification. The Road Warriors won the match on its qualification because the referee was Earl Hebner. And Earl Hebner got hit from the back by Tully Blanchard. And he knew it had to be a horseman because the horsemen were the first team to come into the ring from the back. So when Tommy Young disqualified the Road Warriors, he talked to Tommy Young, and Tommy Young reversed it and disqualified Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard at 13 minutes and 27 seconds. The next match, the still cage match for the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. Dusty Rhodes at 16 minutes and 28 seconds defeated Lex Luger, who at this time was a horseman, I believe, and he had James J. Dillon with him in his car. And then J.J. Dillon came out with Ric Flair in the main event and he defeated Ronnie Garvin to win the Royal Heavyweight title at 17 minutes and 38 seconds. Hmm. The interviewers for this pay-per-view were Missy Hyatt and Bob Cotto. Well, Missy Hyatt was Eddie Gilbert's real-life wife. <laughs> and I... Uh, I'm surprised I didn't know this, because I thought I saw this, this uh, pay-per-view before. So very interesting to read this on in on Wikipedia. Hmm. Starcade nineteen eighty eight. Let me see. Let me see what uh date this took place. Okay. 
1987 was the last time Starcade took place on the um, on Thanksgiving. So I'm gonna read after got that out the way. I'm gonna read the first ever Survivor Series. Hmm. Okay, it was 1987 that Survivor Series first came out. Hmm. Let's see. That's what I thought. Survivor Series was a was um. I think more people ordered Survivor Series that year, so that's why they went to. Um. That's why they went to Christmas instead. The next year. And let's see, as I recall, Vince went to the to the net to uh, pay per view people and threatened them with something. And David Crockett said that you know because that was not only family business, but he had a stake in it also because when they started. Yet he was running the wrestling part. His brother was running the was running the business part. So because he had a stake in that, like my mom said once, you would think he'd be bitter, but he wasn't. He uh he he said that if he was in Vince's position, he might have done the same thing. And that was that actually was amazing to my mom and. Uh, it was amazing to me, but when you see him talk, he looks like he's not mad at anything. So, no, that's not really a surprise on the other hand. When you see David Crockett talking, he doesn't look like he's that upset about it, about a lot of things. So that's why that didn't really surprise me. Um... So I don't know what he threatened them with. Um, so that's why I let me talk about Starcade right here. The development, that's what it was.
That's what it was. He threatened cable companies who aired the who aired Starcade. Yeah. yeah. Whatever threat whatever he threatened them with was powerful enough to where only a handful of people aired things aired Starcade. So let's talk about what the um talk about what the um the matches were. First of all, it was in Richfield Township, Ohio. The attendance was 21,300. I always... I was looking so much at the results and everything, I forgot about the attendance. Well, golly, I don't know how, but they actually... They outsold just about every thing. They outsold all five of uh, all five of Starcades. Um, at all five of them combined. Starcade eighty-seven uh, had a thousand people. Oh, I'm sorry. So because. Uh, Starcade '86 had both the Greensville, Greensboro Coliseum venue and the Omni. They had thirty thousand the year before that. So, so Starcade '86 beat beat the Fresno SummerSlam attendance by about eight thousand seven hundred people. And uh, let me see the other ones to make sure I'm not missing anything. Hmm. 1985 2 was 30,000 people. 1984 had 16,000. The first one had 16,000. So I've got a feeling it was only because of uh, only because of Survivor Series that they weren't able to get as many people. Okay. Now we get into now we get into um the results. Of the match. Brutus Beefcake, Jake Roberts, Jim Duggan, Andy Savage, and Ricky Steamboat, Miss Elizabeth in their corner, defeated 24 minutes. They defeated Dan, Dangerous Danny Davis, Harley Race, Hercules, the Honky Tonk Man, and Ron Bass, Bobby Heenan, and Jimmy Hart in their corner. The second match was a women's five out of five Survivor Series elimination match. 
the whole match was 20 minutes, ended up going on for 20 minutes, and it was the Fabulous Moolah, the Jumping and Jumping Bomb Angels teamed up with Rockin' Robin and Velvet McIntyre to defeat Dawn Marie, which when I first heard that name, I was like, I was like, there's more than one Dawn, there has been more than one Dawn Marie in wrestling because in the 2000s, there was a um, Dawn Marie in the WWF at that time also. So that was a surprise to me. She teamed up with the Donna Christian Mello, the Ga Glamour Girls, and Sensational Sherry. And the Glamour Girls were Leilani Kai and Judy Martin with Jimmy Hart in their corner. And Mula, Jumping Bomb Angels, Rockin' Robin, and Val Velvet McIntyre won the Survivor Series match. Um, let's see. I'm trying... I know that Powers of Pain were eliminated in this 10-on-10 10 10 Survivor Series Tag Team Elimination Match. But they, but because the babyface, the last babyface team that survived ended up winning the whole thing, they said that they put them together, they listed them as the part of the winning team. Along with um, Strike Force, the Fabulous Frugio Brothers, the Killer Bees, and the British Bulldogs. And at 30, uh, this lasted for 37 minutes, and they beat the Bolsheviks, Demolition, which is Axe and Smash, Bolsheviks were Boris Zhukov and Nikolai Volkov. And Dream Team were Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine. Our Foundation were Bret Hart and Jim Nighthart. And Haku and Tama were the Islanders. And these were the, were the managers' names. Bobby Heenan, Mr. Fuji, Jimmy Hart, Johnny Valiant, and Slick. And and the next oh good they actually have the Survivor Series elimination matches actually broke them down chronologically so glad so glad I saw that twenty two minutes and then the next and the last five on five Survivor Series elimination match. Andre the Giant, Butchery, King Kong Bundy, One Man Gang, and Rick Crew defeated Bam Bam Bigelow, Don Rocco, Hulk Hogan, Kenny Patera, the world's strongest man, and Paul Orndorff with Oliver Humperdinck. Now let's see who got eliminated. Okay, Harley Race and Jim Duggan were both eliminated at the same time at 4 minutes and 33 seconds because they brawled with each other on the outside on the outside the third 
elimination in the first match was Ron Bass and he was eliminated by Bruce Beefcake at seven minutes and one second after getting hit by a high, with a high knee. The fourth elimination was Brutus Beefcake at 10 minutes and 51 seconds after the Honky Tonk Man hit the shake, rattle, and roll on him, which is actually just a swing and neck breaker. And he hit and he got the pinfall on him. The fifth elimination, which was three minutes and. Uh, I'm sorry, it is it's, um, four minutes. Okay. That was at 10 minutes and 51 seconds. So the next elimination happened 15 minutes and 11 seconds. So that would be four minutes and 10 seconds. At four minutes and 10 seconds, Jake Roberts hit the DDT on Danny Davis to eliminate him. Hercules was eliminated next by Randy Macho Man Savage after Randy Savage hit, this, hit his flying elbow on him. And that was at 21 minutes and 4 seconds. Um, Honky Tonk Man actually was counted out at three, 23 minutes and 41 seconds. So the sole survivors of this team are Savage, Roberts, and Steamboat. Hmm. In the second match, Velvet McIntyre, at two minutes, eliminated Donna Christianello with a victory roll. At four minutes, Don Marie eliminate, was eliminated by Rockin' Robin, who is the full sister of Sam Houston and the half-sister of Jake the Snake Roberts. And she hit a running crossbody on Don Marie at four minutes to eliminate her. Rockin' Robin was eliminated by her real-life student, Sensational Sherry, after Sherry hit her with a vertical suplex at seven minutes. I'm sorry, it was rocking. I'm doing it again, just like I used to do in Adult Dead in Eunice. My eyes, sometimes my eye, when one eye looks at the top, the other eye looks at the bottom. It was, it was rocking Robin who got eliminated at seven minutes. After Sherry hit her with a vertical suplex. The next wrestler that was eliminated was Fabulous Moolah. And it was Judy Morton who, who pinned her at 11 minutes after a double clothesline with Lilani Kai. The next wrestler was eliminated was was sensational Sherry and it was Felvin McIntyre who pinned her with a victory roll at fifteen minutes. Velvet McIntyre was eliminated next by Lilani Kai who 
hit her with an electric chair drop, which at 17 minutes, by the way, and the electric chair drop is just like what Animal does when he sets up. He and Huck's finisher they just picks, they pick you up, they put you on their shoulder, and they pick you up, but instead of holding you for somebody to come off the top rope, they just go back with you and slam you. And that's how she beat Velvet McIntyre at 17 minutes evenly. Leilani Kai was the next woman eliminated at 19 minutes evenly with a flying crossbody by Itsuki Yamazaki. And then the last person eliminated was Judy Martin. Um, at 20 even minutes, Norio Tatino hit Judy Martin with a flying set-out clothesline to win the match to the sole survivors for the Jumping Bomb Angels. In the in that tag team elimination match, where it was ten teams, Boris Zukov was eliminated by um, Tito Santana at a minute thirty seconds after Tito hit a flying forearm. Then Jacques Rougeau of the Rougeau brothers eliminated Axe after. No, I'm sorry. Axe eliminated Jacques after Jacques missed a diving crossbody, and that was at six even minutes. Smash got disqualified and eliminated at nine minutes evenly for hitting the referee. Jim the Anvil Nightheart at 12 minutes eliminated Tito Santana after he broke up, after Brad Hart broke up a pinfall attempt. Dynamite Kid was eliminated next by Haku after Haku hit him with a Savad kick at the 20 minute mark. Paul Roma actually eliminated Greg Valentine. 24 even minutes with a diving sunset flip. Hmm. Bret Hart was eliminated next by Jim Brunzil. 31 even minutes after Tama knocked over Brunzil, who had Hart in his arms and rolled through to a pin. Then Tama of the Islanders was eliminated by the other killer B, B. Brian Blair, who who pinned him with a sunset flip pin at 37 even minutes. So the survivors were the killer bees and the young stallions. Hmm. Let's see. Yeah, for the fourth match, Hulk Hogan eliminated Betrayed at three even minutes after a leg drop. Ken, Kenny Patero was eliminated by the one-man gang at eight minutes even after a flying clothesline. Paul Orndorff was eliminated by Rick Rude at, at ten even minutes after 
Rick Rude rolled him up after Bundy distracted Orndorff. And Don Morocco eliminated Rick Rude after hitting him with a power slam at 11 even minutes. I don't know what a 747 splash is, but that's what one man gang hit Don Morocco hit performed on Don Morocco to eliminate him at 13 even minutes. Uh, Hulk Hogan and um, actually Hulk Hogan was counted out after Bundy and one man gang prevented him from re-entering the ring and that was at 16 even minutes. Bundy was eliminated next by Bigelow after a slingshot and that was at 18 minutes evenly. Bigelow next eliminated one man gang after one man gang missed that splash they called 747 and he got pinned at 21 minutes even. And then Bigelow got eliminated by Andre the Giant after a butterfly suplex at 22 even minutes. And the sole survivor of the last team was Andre the Giant, and that's the end of the first ever Survivor Series. Let's see. Whoa. Right. Um, I hope whoever listens to this, Audio Boom, likes hearing full full eliminations and everything else because I went over an hour. Thank y'all. Goodbye.